You're listening to the Harbor Worship Center podcast with Pastor Mike Saint. For more information about the Harbor Worship Center, please visit us at harborwc.com. Enjoy today's message. So to God be all of the glory. But on Mother's Day, we talked about unshakable love. And then the following Sunday, we talked about unshakable faith, and we followed that up on a Wednesday night. Then we talked about unshakable bonds last week, and that was uh, a riot. We just really had a great time, and people did on the web afterwards. But uh, nonetheless, we just had a great time with unshakable bonds. And uh, then uh, on Wednesday night, I talked with you about unshakable favor. And I encourage you to listen to Wednesday night message because no matter what you're going through, and no matter who's got it in for you, Any of that doesn't matter. If you have the favor of God, you can live right in the middle of your enemies, and God will bless you. I don't know if you remember the guy's name. It's kind of a funny name. It was (laughs) Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. And if you remember, when they had stolen the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, they decided to put it at Obed-Edom's house, the presence of God. Now, here's what happened. People got noticing, man, what in the world's going down at Obed-Edom's house? His crops are greener, his cows are fatter, all of his livestock's producing, he's got more money, he's driving a better chariot. What in the world's happening? He's got the presence of God in his life. Are you with me? You say, that's a stretch. No, no, go check it out for yourself. So I'm excited about it. And let me say this, God wants to bring you to that place where his presence is with you. Amen? And uh, we can have that unshakable love, unshakable faith, unshakable bonds. And today, I want to talk with you about unshakable grace, if the Lord would help me. And uh, here's, here's the story. It comes out of John chapter 8. I want to just read this, and then I'll refer back to it. But John chapter 8, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. What's happening here is there becomes, there arises a dispute between Jesus and some of the religious leaders of the day. Are you with me? Say amen. And here's what has happened. This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. And uh, the law of Moses says the prescription for someone caught or the sentence for someone caught in the act of adultery is that they be stoned. Now, I'll just lay out ahead of time right now. I don't know why they didn't bring the man because if they caught her in the act... Um, then he had to be part of the deal. Are you with me? Say amen. However, I want you to know up front, it had nothing to do with her sleeping with this man that was not her husband. That was not the deal at all. Let me just read it, if I may. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Uh, Now, early in the morning, he came to church. Hey! Are y'all with me? Well, that was my mycology there. Now, early in the morning, he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. So there he is. He's teaching, sitting there on the steps of the temple, if you will. And the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, and when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery, and they got more specific, in the very act. I don't think I need any further explanation. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what say you? What do you say? In this they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. 
And we're going to deal with this in just a moment, but let me run on through. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. In other words, he paid no attention to her accuser. He just kept on writing. And so they continued to ask him, and he raised himself up, and he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. Now I want to, lest I forget this. It's a, it's a nuance that I can't seem to get beyond, and I found it studying, and, and, and it just bothered me. And, and I might forget it, so I'm going to tell you right now. Watch this. Verse 8 said, he stooped down and wrote again. Didn't say he said a word, but he wrote. But then the Bible said in verse number 9, then those who heard it. <laughs> then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience. I'm going to revisit that if the Lord will help me in just a moment. But then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in their midst. And when Jesus raised himself up uh, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? He said, or she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Lord, please add your blessings to the Word of God today. I ask you, God, to help me because I am a mere morsel of clay, Lord, and I do need your touch. So, God, be with me now as I break the bread of life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to understand that God has a love for you that is immeasurable. God has a love for you that is beyond Beyond the depth of a probe to find the end. He has a love that is deeper than, than, the, than a stethoscope can pick up. It is deeper than an x-ray can see. He has a love for you that is immeasurable. And um, I, I want you to understand, I, I want you to know that. I was in the sixth grade, Columbus, Georgia, growing up. And my pastor's son came to spend the night with me. His name was Paul. They say pastor's kids are the worst. And it may be true. But Paul had gotten into smoking the Marlboro cigarette in the red pack. Are you with me? And he came over to spend the night and... We decided we could scrape up a little bit of money. We could go down to the Magic Mart. That's what they called a little store down there. We could buy us a pack of smokes. I had never really smoked. Of course, I was only in the sixth grade. But we took my bicycle and I rode on the handlebars while he pedaled. And we went down the road to buy some cigarettes. And then in that day, you know, you could be in fifth grade and buy a pack of cigarettes or a Budweiser. It didn't really matter. Are you with me? And so we got this pack of cigarettes, and the first thing we did, we walked outside and we undone the foil pack, and of course we slapped them like you always do. We put them in our mouth and we lit them up. Boy, we were cool. <laughs> About to choke to death. Uh, you know, I never really inhaled no cigarette, but man, we tried to look cool, and we was cool, and you ought to see me riding on the handlebars with a Marlboro in my mouth. <laughs> Th 
thinking that I saw a car that daddy might recognize. My life choked on it. Are you with me? Yep. And so, man, we were having the time of our life. Boy, we were lit up and smoking, and we was on the way home, and we just hung out a little bit. And I don't know how much of that pack of Marlboro we smoked. But I had been taught all my life that smoking would carry you to hell, and it'll kill you fast and help you get there. Are you with me? Say amen. And I'm not saying that smoking will carry you to hell. It'll make you smell like you've been. But nonetheless, I thought, I said to myself, I said, Paul, I said, Paul, if my daddy smells these cigarettes, he's going to kill me and you. Because this was in the era that he didn't have to call your daddy and ask, could he whip you? If he spent the night at your house, it was understood. If you got out of line, he would whip you. I done been many a times over to his house or somebody else's house and got out of line, and I got whipped right on with them. Defects didn't get called daddy and them. When they found out about it, he'll take you in the bedroom and whip you again. That's how it went in those days. It was a whole, it was a different world. But nonetheless, I, as we got closer home, I got concerned about my dad, John Saints. Y'all met him a couple weeks ago. Well, he was a big man back then. Well, anyway, I'm in the sixth grade, and I got to the door, and then, you know, we done tried to do everything we do, get the smoke off us. I went to the door, and I grabbed the door, and it was locked. Now, this is, if you're on a reference point, if you're from Columbus, Georgia, this is right next door to the 29th Street Church of God, where L.O. Peck was the pastor. Sister Gwen would remember, because she was there. It was one of his members. But nonetheless, the church was uh, no longer a church of God at that time, but nonetheless, I... I I grabbed the handle and the door was locked. I said, oh, Lord, what are we going to do, Paul? I said, I got an idea. I'm going to slip around the house and go to my sister's window, and I'll tap on my sister's window. Ain't no way she's asleep yet. Well, unbeknownst to me, my dad had, you know, because if it come time to lock the door, he just locked the door. In other words, you had to knock on the door to get him out of bed to come to the... So I went to my sister's room, and I, I, I tapped on the glass, and I said, Pam! I tapped... Pam! And I heard a little movement. And I thought, oh, praise God, Pam's getting up out of bed. She's coming to let me in the window. Pam! And about that time, the curtain went back and bam, bam, bam! Three shots rang out of a 22 blank pistol. No bullets, a 22 blank don't shoot bullets, it just shoots fire and scare the living world out of you. I fell on the ground and said, Paul, he has shot me! <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I was looking at my chest to see if I was bleeding, but I was in shock. This happened in my hand toward heaven just like it. And so later, in a few moments, I would wish he did shoot me and that I had died right there in the backyard. But he didn't really shoot me, and I got up. And I don't, you know, I knew I was about to get a whip, and I knew I was going to get a beating, but I was kind of glad I was just living, you know? So <laughs> I'm walking, and by this time, he's beat me to the front door. He's opened the door. I didn't even get a word out of my mouth. I didn't say nothing. He said, y'all been all smoking, hadn't you? No, sir. <laughs> That's as ridiculous as some of the lies your children are telling you and some of the ones you told your mom and daddy. No, sir. Let me smell your breath. You smell just like smoke. Let me smell your fingers. You smell just like smoke. And boy, 
He took off walking to the bedroom. Oh, Lord, I heard the jingle of the buckle. Huh? And across that couch it was, and me and Paul got the backside of us wore out. Are you hearing me? After I got done, I pulled the old sofa bed out so I could sleep there, and I'll never forget laying there sobbing. Long after the stinging had quit on my legs and backside, tears rolled down my cheeks and hit the pillow because I had disappointed my dad. He was a preacher of the gospel. I could win a spelling, I, I, and I couldn't win a spelling bee, forgive me saying that. I could win a Bible drill. I could find the scripture. I could quote the scripture. I had all that down. But I smelt like a Marlboro. And I saw the disappointment in Daddy's face. And long after I done quit hurting from the whipping that I got, I saw the disgust and the disappointment in his eyes. And I lay on that bed that night thinking he'll never forgive me of this. And some of you have thought the same thing. I've done something so bad. So, and in my sixth grade mind, you know, right now, smoking cigarettes, if that was the only problem I had, man, it wouldn't be that bad. But in my sixth grade mind, I had created a monster. I had, I had committed such a sin that he would never see me the same again. But here's what Romans 5 says, that while I was still a sinner, verse 8, God commanded his lo commended his love toward me, that Christ died for the ungodly. While I was still acting a fool, my father loved me, even though I had disappointed him, even though I had wronged him, even though I had broken his law, he loved me enough to send his son to die for me. Isaiah the prophet said in chapter 53 in verse 6, all we like sheep, I want you to catch this, A-L-L, -L, all we, look at somebody and say, all means you. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. In other words, don't tell me what to do. Daddy, mama, pastor, husband, life group leader, I'm going to do what I jolly well please. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus your iniquity and mine at Calvary. He paid a price that he did not owe to give you a life that we did not deserve. John 3.16 says, For God, the Father, loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever, black, white, Indian, Asian, doesn't matter, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to tell you something. Jesus loves us immeasurably. I, I just, uh, I want you to know that He cares so much for us and He comes to seek and to save the lost. Let me tell you how much He loves us. Frederick Lehman tells us about this verse that I want to read. It, it talks about the love of God, but it says, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. 
Frederick Lehman tells us that verse 3 was found penciled on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum after he was carried to the grave. Can you imagine that? That somebody penciled these words on the walls of an asylum. The Bible says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Here's the truth, you see, because I just told you something that I've done. I told you about me, but I would bet you, if I could ask you, and you'd be honest right now, some of you could say, you know what, I, you see, now that was one of the things I've done as a child. I don't, tell you, I don't have time to tell you all the mistakes I've ever made in my life, nor do you have time or nor do you want to hear it. But you can identify, and I'll bet you that many of you right now say, you know what, Pastor, I, I've blown it before too. I've made some serious mistakes. Um, I, I've sinned. I've fell short. I've missed the mark. Doubtless we've all done things and we wish we could get a mulligan. We wish we could do it over again. But the truth is we can't. Perhaps if we could, we'd live differently. Perhaps there'd be something that we would change. But the truth is that we cannot undo sin. We cannot put water back on top of the fall. Water has gone over the fall, under the bridge, and there's nothing we can do about it except to repent. And let God deal with it. And there's where grace comes in. Are you with me? The truth is we cannot undo it. And, and, but, but here's the deal. You've got to know the immeasurable love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or peril or, or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written? Watch this. For your sakes we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He said, but yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither, he says, uh, death nor life nor angels or principalities, powers, things present, things to come, height nor depth nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is... In Christ Jesus, our Lord. No place you can go and escape the love of God. As I said, it is immeasurable. Now let me take you back to our story. Uh, if I could go back to that situation, here's Jesus. He's teaching on the steps there. And the woman is dragged through the streets. Um, the law says she's condemned to die. Uh, she is going to die if the law is fulfilled. Pope Benedict said something concerning this, and he says, this episode unplays in two vivid scenes. He says, the first is a dispute between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees of a woman who's caught in adultery, and in accordance with the prescription of the law, she must die. But then he says, there's another scene uh, it is a moving dialogue between Jesus and this sinner woman. The story is not nearly as much about the woman that's brought to him. Now, I want you to picture if Jesus is sitting at the steps of the temple or there near the temple. Could you imagine the crowd that is gathered right now? And if someone were to come through the back just dragging a woman along just scurrying her alone and just throws her in a heap right there at his feet. The Bible says she was set before him by these hypocritical accusers that has come to, to, to literally try to trap Jesus. It has nothing to do with the woman at all. Nothing to do with her. It's filled with drama. 
They want to show, uh, here's what they're trying to trap Jesus with. They said, we caught her, we caught her in the act. The law of Moses said she must die for her sin. So here's the deal. If Jesus absolves her sin and says, I just forgive you clearly, then he has no regard for the law of Moses, which is the word of God. So they've got him. If he condemns her to die, they say, what about the gospel of grace and mercy that you preach? So either way, he's in a catch-22. They've got him, and they know it. In their hearts and in their minds, we've caught him. He's right now among everybody. He's at the very temple. Here he is. He cannot go either way because either way he goes, we've got him. If he disdains the law of Moses, we'll throw him out because of that. If he denies uh, the grace and mercy that he preaches, then he's a hypocrite. So they've got him, or so they think. And so he initially does not say anything at all. Can we bring that scripture back? Uh, verse 7 there. Um, let's back up to verse number 6. So they said this testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. They're looking to, to get Jesus. But he stooped down and he wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So here's all of the religious sect and Jesus is writing. And this is the first time that he wrote that we know of. And nobody knows what he wrote. We don't have anybody there with an iPhone. I don't have an Instagram of what he wrote in the dirt. I don't know. But I can tell you the effect of what he wrote. Watch this. Um, they're just interrogating him. him. He bends down and he starts to write on the ground. Here's what St. Augustine said. He notes that the gesture portrays Christ as the divine legislator. In fact, God wrote his law on the tablets as Moses held them. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And Augustine says that this is again the finger of the Son of God writing in the sand. He's depicted as the divine legislator. Are you with me? Say amen. Again, further, Pope Benedict said Jesus does not even enter into a theoretical, theoretical discussion about uh, this with all of these that have come to trap him. So many times you and I, and I've been drawn into this myself, we feel like we have to defend the Bible. We feel like we have got to flesh it out and make man understand it and have you know, uh, a settled mind about it. Their mind wasn't going to be settled until Jesus was dead. It didn't matter what he said or did. Are you with me? Say amen. He was not concerned with winning an academic dispute or debate about the interpretation of Moses' law, but his goal was to save a soul and to offer grace to one who was condemned to die. That's unshakable grace. Because whether you know it or not, whether you want to admit it or not, because of our sin, not because of anything you've done. Did you know just by the mere fact of being born, we were born in sin and shapen in iniquity because of the fall of man. We must, therefore, accept the grace of God that is extended toward us. This is why he came. 
This is why he come to die on the cross. This is why he said, I'll go. This is why God raised him from the dead on the third day. So that he could reach out to those who were condemned. I want to tell you something. Everything was predicated upon what Jesus said or did. His life hung in the balance right then. According to man, and so did the victim. So, so did the woman caught. Both of them were now hanging in the balance of what the master would say. Let me show it to you as I try to uh, go a little further. This passage shows us something about Jesus' attitude towards sin and the sinner. And I want to just dwell right here for just a second. I want you to know something. There's a difference in the sin and the sinner. Now, we sinners, when people look at me, they can say, yeah, that's the boy that was smoking them marmars. Y'all with me? Or doing whatever foolishness I got into as a kid or older or whatever. But the gospel presents clearly that Jesus distinguishes between the sin and the sinner. I want you to understand that they are not the same. It does not mean that we overlook sin or that we, uh, even worse, deny that sin exists because God does not overlook the sin in your life. He don't. He does not overlook the sin in my life. God does not forgive evil. Are you with me? But He forgives the sinner of the evil that he or she has done. God's attitude towards sin has never changed and will never change. He does not forgive evil. He forgives those who committed the evil. Are you with me? Say amen. You see, um, that it's, it's not the person that God hates. It's the sin that God... You know, if God hated the person, He wouldn't send His Son to die for the person... See, man tends to identify the sinner with the sin. Uh, you know, closing off every possibility of escape. In other words, there's no way out because, you know, I, I've, done what I, you know I've done what I've done. Whatever it is, whatever that is that, that hangs over your head. And according to man, there's no way out. But God says, no, 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 no. I'll deal with the sin and I'll deal with the sinner. The woman's situation is absolutely serious. The message flows precisely from the situation. And watch. Whatever condition we find ourselves in, we can always open up in conversation. And we can always receive forgiveness. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. I want to take you back to the situation now. Here's Jesus. And the Bible says, uh, so they continued asking him, and uh, he raised himself, and he said to them, He who is out uh, among you without sin, throw the first stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, verse 8. And verse 9, then those who heard it. And that's where we piqued our interest a moment ago, because Jesus wrote something, and somehow what was written became audible. I don't remember if it was Pope John Paul or Pope Francis I've been, or Pope Benedict. I've been reading after several of them and what they had to say about the passage. But the pause is this. He wrote something in the sand. We don't know what he wrote, 
But he gave some pause. He stood, and then he wrote something else. And, and their agreement is this, that they agree in the fact that he was giving the accusers and the woman an opportunity to think through what was going on. To think about what they were doing. To think about, well, the accusation. To think about the problem, the situation, the circumstances. So she's thinking, what have I done? But then he writes something. And the Bible says he wrote it, but they hurt. Let's see. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out by, one by one. So while he wrote something, is it possible? that he suspended the laws again? Is it possible that, that words all of a sudden had a volume button? It was not a tape recorder on the ground, but, but how could it be that as he wrote, the word was audibly spoke, or did he talk while he was writing? I don't know. Did he possibly say to the scribe on the far right, what about your sins, sir? Where were you last night? And what were you doing with so-and-so? And what is that that you have at your house and around the room? I don't know. But the Bible says Jesus wrote and they heard. They heard something. And the Bible says that when they heard that from the oldest to the youngest... You can hear this, the thud of stones hitting the ground, dropping. A head hanging and men walking off the scene, off of the set, away from the temple. Why? What has happened? I'm going to tell you what's happened. God has just now done something amazing. Because it wasn't about the woman in the, in the first place. Else the man would have been there too. If they really wanted justice done, they would punish both. But it wasn't about justice for someone who had broken the law. It was about trapping him to see what he would say. And what he decided to do was turn it right on their own head and say, you've come to me, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about your sin. You brought me this woman, but let's talk about you're the one wearing a church robe. You're the one wearing a religious collar. You're the one supposed to be schooled in the law of God. So let me ask you about you. How you live and where you live and what you do and what you participate in. And he began to write it and as he wrote it, it was spoken out with volume. And they heard it and their hearts smote them. And they did not know what to do in frustration. They dropped the stones and began to walk away. So what I need you to do is this. There's the story. This woman opened her eyes and looked at Jesus. And what I want you to do today is to open your eyes and look at Jesus. I'm going to tell you something. If you want to look in worldly realms, I could represent a religious person. Adam could, all the credentialed ministers, all the life group leaders, whatever. We could represent represent those who you know lead the church etc etc but I'm going to tell you something 
This woman could not look to either of these. She couldn't look to these people. Because if man had their way, she would die. She was a pawn on their board. They didn't care nothing about her. In fact, she was expendable. She was expendable to them. They wanted to get to him. So the real deal is this. I'm not asking you to look to the government. I'm not asking you to even look to the pastor. I'm not asking you to look to a life group leader. And I think all of these are important. But this woman opened her eyes and looked at the one that could do something about it. As much as I tell you I forgive you, I can forgive you for offending me, but I cannot forgive you for offending God. I cannot forgive you for violating His Word. That's where you have to repent to Him. We have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But we, have, we can go to Him and He'll be touched. Listen, here's the nutshell. He's the only one. The Pope can't forgive you. The pastor can't forgive you. The bishop can't forgive you. The administrator can't forgive you. Nobody can forgive you except Him. He's the only one that can do anything about it. So, nobody could help. I want to show you a couple of pictures. And I, I really meant to bring my laser pointer. I don't have it, but I'm going to do my best anyway. If I can show the other picture. Now you say, now Pastor, you just now preached this wonderful message on, on uh, grace. And you want to show me a taillight. I do. Because I find a message in everything I do, it seems. And earlier this week, I was helping Adam with some taillights and they were out and whatever. He's got that taillight, Jeep taillight. I wish I had my laser pointer because the very top red is the running light and the brake light. The next one is the gold color, amber color is the blinker light. The white one is the reverse light. And the bottom one, thank you whoever's doing that. You have not because you ask not. God is good, isn't he? That bottom one there that's being pointed at is aesthetic. There's no bulb behind that at all. Now, if we can show the other picture, this will be the back side. There's that top one. It represented the running light and the, the brake light. The next one there was the turn. And then the next one was the backup light. And if you'll notice, it's blank down there. It was just totally aesthetic. It wasn't even, you know, nothing down there. But uh, Adam and I was trying to trace a situation. And the way his was, he had all of these spots, and we had those little, um, the bulbs were twisted out. And we were looking for brake light power, but watch this. We were probing in the wrong place. We were looking for power in the wrong place. And we did not understand because we had power up to the pigtail. That's not the exact representation of it. But nonetheless, we had power coming to the plug, if you can understand that. Power was coming to, when we pressed the brake, it was coming there. Of course, after we changed the switch up front, but that's neither here nor there. So we had power there. And we was wondering, why are we not getting power over here? But the deal was, the brake light was up top. And I'm thinking it should be top and bottom. So I'm looking for power. Here it is, in the wrong place. And some of you, that was just what the Lord just laid it on my heart. As you stand with me right now, here's, here's the deal. Some of you, like me, 
have failed, you've missed the mark, you've sinned, it's just really messed you up. Maybe even last night. And some of you for a long, long time have been like I uh, or myself and look for power to change it in the wrong place. And I'm going to tell you something, I twisted them bulbs in and out till my fingers were sore. I turned the thing on the, I mean, we checked continuity, we checked this, we checked that, we checked voltage. I mean, we like the water brake pedal out. We did all of this, we did all of that. I mean, we, and I could not, I said, man, the brake, the, the light assembly just looks too good. It is not bad. And I just, finally, after a long while, Adam looked at it. He said, you know what, Dad? That bottom globe is just aesthetics. That's all. It's just, there's not even... Uh, I mean, it's everything happens up here. Here's the running light. Here's the brake light. Here's the blinker. Here's the reverse. We're looking for power where they, there is none. And in your life, you may have looked for power to heal that pain that you're feeling, that hurt that you, that's been hurting, that void that is there. You're looking for it in all the wrong places. It is not at the bottom of the beer can. I don't care what your buddies tell you. It is not at the end of a joint. It is not at the bottom of a pill bottle. It is not in another woman that you think is beautiful and is going to really understand this time. It is not in some other man with a great six-pack that's going to caress you and hold you and tell you it's all right. But the power that you need is in the cross of Calvary. That woman looked at Jesus. Don't look at me. I can't help you. Don't look at this one or that one, but you got to look at Jesus. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Adam's going to sing a song for me now. And here's my altar call. Some of you have been battling and struggling and dealing with and looking for change. You've been looking for purpose. You've been looking for pardon. You've been looking for satisfaction. You've been looking for completion. You've been looking for help and hope. And you've been looking for everything, but you've been looking in the wrong place. There is no power to set you free in any of those places that I said. There's no power to set you free. The world will tell you that you can self-help yourself. The world will say, it's okay. But I tell you this, the power to set you free, the power to deal with the guilty conscience. The, you know what? I'm going to tell you something, friend. Listen to me, friend. I'm with you in this. God loves us. We've all failed and we've all messed up. We've all done some pretty stupid things. There's, all, there's a lot of things I wish I could do again. I do differently. But I can't do that. But I can say, Lord, if you'll just grant, grant your mercy. If you'll grant your grace. If you'll forgive me, I'll do better next time. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at harborwc.com.